Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Thank you for joining us. With me is Dr. Eric Larson of the Paradox Podcast. Thank you for being here at my kitchen table. It's a surprise. You just showed up. I was making eggs and he knocked on the back door and said, mind if I come on in? And I was like, sure. No, it's not, not what happened at all. Uh, you, what are you in Indianapolis for? I'm here for the Big Ten tournament. So oh. I, I originally was going to come for the weather. I heard it's going to be nice and warm, <laughs> and I think it's one degrees out uh, after with the wind chill, or actually even now, now with the wind chill, it's it's freezing. I walked it's so it, cold. I walked downstairs this morning, and it was 60 degrees in my uh, living room, and I was like, oh, it's 19 degrees outside, but sunny and beautiful, and yeah, we're ready for spring. It was like 60, 70 degrees the other day. We were out of park. Well, when I looked at the weather uh, a week ago when we were planning this trip for the Big Ten tournament, I th- it was supposed to be, I think, in the 50s. So it was going to be night. I was thinking, well, I was wear some T-shirts. And, right. I mean, 50s in the spring for the Midwest, that's short weather, right? Mm-hmm. So in the, in the fall, of course, you're like freezing at 50 degrees. But in the spring, it's like, wow. It's, and so I, was, I came down the front desk and I actually walked up to him. I said, you know, it's snowing outside. I was told it was going to be a lot warmer. I'd like, I'd like a refund. <laughs> and they, the guy is like, Really? <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I really just need some more shampoo, but <laughs> so it, yeah, it's, uh, you know, but I, we have the weather, we got the coats, we got the sweatshirts and stuff. So it's, you know, it's spring in the Midwest. So who's your team? Who are you here rooting for? Well, it's, it's tricky with our family. So I went, I did medical school at Michigan, uh, sorry, at, at Iowa. I'm from Michigan. I mi- grew up a Michigan state fan. Is the degree all that wor- worthy if you can't remember where you went? Like. Well, so it's funny. I've got I've got degrees from both. I've got degrees from Michigan from my undergraduate, and then I went to Iowa for medical school. So I've okay. got Iowa there. And so what we the last time we went to Big Determinant in 2019 in Chicago, my daughter's with me, and she just been accepted to Michigan. So she was going to be the Michigan fan. My wife, who's from Iowa, is the Iowa fan, and then I'm the Michigan State fan because that's where I grew up. Even though I went uh, to Michigan, very com- complicated. It's just the way it is. Were you like self loathing in your undergraduate as a uh, State fan I got, going to Michigan? I got to the point for you would be like Indiana Purdue, right? Well, so I yeah, got to, right. I got to the point where I could tolerate Michigan, and so I was. Um, and when I went to, I had season tickets for the hockey team, and so I was a big Michigan hockey fan. Mm. I had a bunch of hockey players on my floor too. Um, boy, these guys could drink. Uh, anyway, um, so I was able to to like Michigan quite a bit. I learned to despise Ohio State mm. and the entire state. Yeah, so. I, I got some good stuff out in Notre Dame at the time. So Ohio is the scourge of the Midwest. They're really like I'm glad you don't like them either. No, I they're really the understand. Mississippi of the North. <laughs> yeah, it's, it reminds me of um, the joke we used to tell in Iowa: is if you give the bottom tier two tiers of counties of Iowa and give it to Missouri, you raise the IQ of both states. I feel <laughs> like the same could be said for Michigan, it, Ohio. And if you're from Virginia or Pennsylvania, we're talking about our West Virginia. <laughs> I don't know what the Western equivalent is. Maybe it's Nevada. I don't know. Do they make fun of Idaho? Uh, no one lives in Nevada except Vegas, right? Yeah. As a lifelong IU fan, having Mitch Daniels at Purdue is so conflicting because I love Mitch Daniels, and he's done such a great job with Purdue, and Purdue's like on this great run with basketball, and you're just like, uh. And IU's not good at any sports, and, you know. I'm a reformed Bobby Knight fan. I used to love Bobby Knight as a kid, and then I grew up, and I was like, "Oh, cruelty was the point. Not not a fan anymore." <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it is it's hard living in a state where Purdue is has so many admirable things about it, and you can't admit it. So I, I get it. Terrible school colors. I mean, yeah, right? I mean, they're ugly. Gold and black, and yeah. just like like bad '80s design, and then that weird disembodied Boilermaker thing. Yeah, his uh, their mascot is weird looking. <laughs> He's better than the Nate Lyon. We've actually, at the tournament, we've been able to analyze everyone's mascot. Now, some people don't have one. Like, the Hoosiers don't have one. Right. The Wolverines. 
the Illini used to. Now Chief Illiniweck, he's gone. Yeah. Uh, so they don't have one. Really? Why? <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine why. All right. But so, you know, I was got a good one. Herky, uh, Bucky the Badger's not bad. Uh, the Golden Gopher, he's, he can spin his head around. He's pretty good. Although he looks like he needs to go to the dry cleaner. So mm-hmm. he's a little bit grungy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nitley Lion looks terrible. He looks emaciated. I'm not quite sure. It's like a, it almost looks like an art project from the 60s or like, like the kid just picks up, you know, the, the cheap Halloween costume. That's kind of what it looks like. Uh, the Scarlet Knights, they have a good one. And the Turtle, of course, Maryland's not bad. He's okay. So Well, I I actually uh, did not graduate yet from IUPUI, uh, but IUPUI J- Original Jaguar, Google it, it is unbelievably bad. So which one of the best stunts? I thought that was, is that, IU, is that the Fort Wayne? The That must be Fort Wayne. I like yeah. to think I know lots of mascots in the Midwest. So Yeah, the Original Jaguar is, look at this thing. <laughs> it's so it looks bad. like it might be a Chewbacca. I can't t- or like a Wookiee or a little bit. Yeah, it'll be your first the first link, uh, Journey of the Jaguars. But you see it, it's it's really unbelievably bad. Um, well, so you're on the network now with the Paradox Podcast. Uh, it's ho- hopefully going well for you. It's going well for us. We've gotten tons of great comments. Oh, great. Um, but what are you going to do now that COVID's over? Let's let's talk about the end of COVID and, end and of COVID. What are we going to do? Is COVID doesn't exist anymore, right? I guess it depends where you live, right? <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's been that way for about a year. Uh, I think I feel like uh, well, I think the good Big Ten tournament's a good example. Watch a lot of basketball, and so you, I, you were originally we were going to meet March twenty twenty. March twenty twenty, we're going to meet. I said, yeah. hey, I'll come up, and then uh, the world ended. And I said, well, we're just going to leave. Because I think you could meet on Saturday. And we were supposed to be here through Sunday, like this week. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, my family, we came, Indianapolis had shut down. There were, we were trying to do stuff, but... You got to 465. Yeah, we got we got 465. Yeah. yeah, and then right then, the they canceled the game. So we went to the we went to the field house, which I think wasn't Gainsbridge. It was something else. It was it yeah. Banker's Life at that yeah, time? Banker's Life, yeah. Yeah, the, right. the, the mergers every two years, they changed right. the name. It was Conseco. And it, it's... Uh, I I forget what it was originally called. I mean, it was Market Square Arena, and then it, they built the 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 field house. But we call it the field house. It's it's like Deer Creek is Deer Creek. Yeah, might we don't well, right? call it the whatever mortgage company. You know, it's Deer Creek. Like Hoosiers are. It's still the Hoosier Dome. That thing's been torn down for fifteen years. <laughs> it's the Hoosier Dome. We don't call it the RCA Dome. We're very stubborn people. Uh, so anyway, yeah, we got, we're there, we went to a couple games cause, and then they announced at the game, but the next, they said the next the games are not gonna have fans because we're trying to, you know, two weeks just flatten the curve. And then, then we we're in our hotel room watching the game, getting ready, preparing for the game. And then they called, called the whole thing off. And then, you know, the entire world had ended because the NBA right. canceled the day before or something. And yeah, so we're going to meet then. And, and, um, and so I'm here now and it's been great on the network. I've been very excited. very happy. It's not having COVID around as much. It seems mm-hmm. nice. I watched the games. It depends what team you're watching as far as where the people wearing masks in the stands. It's very interesting. In Michigan, we had, we've had fairly restrictive uh, mandates, although strangely, it's only been at universities. Hmm. So if you're, in a, if you're in a school or on campus, you have to wear masks. Otherwise, you don't have to wear masks anywhere else, which hmm. uh, nothing makes any sense of the policies in, this, in the whole, the whole thing. It's so- been just bananas, right? And so... The last game, they, they said you can take your masks off, so we didn't for the last game. And then in the field house, 1%, maybe half a percent have masks on. Yeah. Despite people coming from all the different states where they have very varying policies. Maryland, you know, and, and Wisconsin, Illinois, they have to wear masks a lot more. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's it, you know, we, we, last week we ranted about COVID with Brian Nichols a little bit um, and why he moved from Philly and him talking about Philly and how 
it's still very prevalent there, but you know, here we haven't had it since July, 2020, really any restrictions. Like I didn't, I didn't put on a mask till April. And even then it was just if somebody asked you to put a mask on when you walked it. Cause I watched Fauci early on say it doesn't work. You touch your face. It's like only in 95s work. So like the information was out there. Um, but <clears throat> you know, when, you look at the last regulations around here, it's schools, daycares, and the airport on airplanes. Right. Like the last places that you don't really need it and it doesn't really function properly, like the Y, for instance, the play and learn kids over three have to wear them. So there's <laughs> two kids, including my three-year-old, wearing a mask for the first time in her entire life. So we just stopped taking her to the Y. Um, and then 20 sick 18-month-old kids... And then 99% of the building's not wearing masks, except for the employees. Uh, and I bitched about this on Twitter, and the YMCA sent me an email asking me to call them, so I need to talk to them. And, and just... Because it doesn't make any sense, right? Like, uh, and, and in hindsight, when you look back like at all the things that didn't make sense, like masking on beaches, you can't go to... Like Greenwood, which is a very Republican city, putting the construction barrier fencing around playgrounds. Yes, right. Or up in your state, you know, people forget about all this stuff. Like, you can't go buy garden seeds at Walmart. You can only go to the grocery section. And, like, you know, you can't... Like, all the picking and choosing that went into this stuff that never made any sense. I mean, I think it's... I don't know about you, but I give people, like, a pass for the first three months. We didn't really know what was going on. We didn't sure. know what it was. Yep. You started to see things like the Barrington Declaration come out. I know you've interviewed Bhattacharya, which was a great interview. Um, and early on, it was kind of like where Joe Biden announced he was at the state of the address. Just take care of the sick, use precautions, preventative measures, and that's all we can do. Let's you know, move along. So like looking back, things like um, the Indianapolis 500 that May makes sense to close down the world's largest sporting event. But we had it last year, had <laughs> literally nobody got sick from it. Two people died, but they showed up with COVID at the event. Um, and so it's at full capacity again this year. Everything's back on like a normal year at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in May. Why didn't people look at events like that? And, and, and the, the NFL games, we had a full season this year with fans what city had a massive outbreak? Like, all right, I'm ranting now. Anyways, yeah. like when, no, you look, I, when you look back, like closing down the NCAA tournament in May 2020, do you, are you the type of person that goes, that was silly, that was reasonable? How, how are we to kind of judge what we got right and what we got wrong? How do you think about it? Well, so I'm not an expert in the sense that I'm not someone who knows a lot about the virus or knew a lot about the virus back in last spring. So I think... Or last spring, two springs ago, whatever now. I, I spoke at the Libertarian Party of Indiana convention. I was like, you know, last year when Don was running, and I completely forgot 2020. Yeah, right. It's, it's been hard keeping track of stuff. I think by summer of 2020, most of the things we know today, we knew then. If you're willing to accept the fact that, um, if, you were, if you're willing to look, I think a lot of things were obvious then. If I could figure those things out then, and you could listen, listen back to my shows back, in, back when we are talking about then, right. it, it has... There's a lot of obvious things. One is it's going to be an endemic disease. No matter whether there's a vaccine or not, that people will catch this and everyone will get it multiple times, which you're yeah, testament probably. to that, right? Yeah. I mean, I've had it once as well. <laughs> um, and so there's no, there's no point in preventing transmission because you're going to eventually get it. 
Right. Right. So you can't stop people from getting this. Now, you could make the argument that you can try and slow it in order to allow the hospital capacity to handle everyone that's going to be sick. And before vaccine, that was a position I think you could take, although the means for going about that didn't make much sense. I mean, there are a number of studies earlier that said that mass usage by the general public never slowed transmission of other respiratory diseases, namely the flu. There's no reason to think this is much different than the flu. Um, We get all kinds of respiratory diseases, other coronaviruses, rhinoviruses, metanumaviruses, adenoviruses, and those just go through the community and sweep through, and there's nothing you can do about it. And no merit wearing a mask has ever been shown to be efficacious, mean, effective. So there's no reason to think that that was going to make a difference and help. So uh, the only way you can really stop transmission is to limit activity and exposure for people. So you have to not see other people, which is impossible in, our, in, in society. A communicable disease needs community. It, may, yes. it makes sense. Um, but... I knew it wasn't going to work on Easter, right? Like the, the right. two weeks to flatten the curve. Like you drive, I drove by the Bob Evans, and everybody's standing in a long line to get a pie. <laughs> and that's when I went, okay, this is early April. Nobody believes this. Nobody's taking this that seriously. Like people have just made the made the uh, decision making like for for their own, um, you know, their own disease vector. I don't know what you would call it. Yep. Their own risk factor sure. to kind of go. All right. I'm going to stay home if I have like elderly parents. And if you don't like me, I'm going to Florida in July. YOLO. Right. Like uh, I'm, I I stayed home in 2020, the month before I saw my parents at Christmas. Right. Like there were things that I would do because it does make sense that you need community. But where, where did we go too far in, in hindsight, uh, in terms of lockdowns and shutting down businesses and trying to limit exposure and community yeah. through, through like, let's say the first four months you get a pass a little bit. If you, if you want to give a pass, sure. right. Okay. And then 2020 and then vaccine February of 2021, when the vaccine comes out, that's a whole different ball game, right? Like in my mind, like you have a therapeutic to kind of, yeah. Oh, no question. You know, no question. Like, I mean, so when you're looking back at this stuff, how do you assess what worked and what didn't? Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing that has worked is you have to get immunity to this disease one way, one of two ways. One is through infection, through getting, acquiring it through the, you know, from other people or through vaccination. I mean, those are the only ways, I mean, all vaccine does is it simulates you getting infected, right? So it, right. to create immune response and long-term immunity. So yeah, there's that. There's the period. There's an initial period, like you said, the first few months where we can say we didn't really know. We didn't know how dangerous it was to children. We didn't know how dangerous it was to adults. And now, by honestly, April, May, June at the latest. June at the latest. June at the latest. We knew that kids were were not going to be significantly at risk from this. Yes, there are kids who've passed away. Yes, there are kids who get sick. Yes, there are kids who get hospitalized. Long COVID, plus minus how much that is really a, a thing. I mean. People will quibble about that, but it wasn't going to be, this is not like polio. This is not like, um, uh, measles. I mean, it's not like, uh, well, all kinds of RSV, for instance, is far more dangerous than, um, than COVID for children, small children. So we should have known right then what you want to do as a, as a community is you want to, you want to raise the, the immunity levels as much as you can. And again, at that time, the only way was through getting infected right if you had every kid infected that you would remove one vector so closing schools was a gigantic problem for two reasons one is i think it does it prevents you from getting a nice um community immunity sort of uh pool but also there are all the secondary effects that schools 
keeping kids out of school has. Obesity, um, learning disabilities, speech delays, massive anxiety and depression, uh, mental health problems that you see from kids that, yes, is probably partly just the overall gestalt of just the pandemic, and that's what gotten kids, and then, but also the fact that you're limiting their social interaction, you're limiting their... Um, you know, their extracurriculars, all those things, those are all real important. And then, then of course, there's all the things that you have schools closing and now you have parents who can't work or parents who have childcare problems, causes disruptions throughout the rest of the economy. It causes all kinds of problems. And yes, kids, if they got sick, they probably are transmitting to parents occasionally, although it seemed, still seemed at that time that their transmission was not as efficient going to adults from kids. So it probably would have been really helpful to have a lot of those kids get hurt or it's certainly not as harmful as we, we initially expected. And there's been massive disruption of problems because of that. Yeah, well, I, I hosted a public affairs show here in Indianapolis. And what I tried to do with that show, which you can go back and listen to, like the super cuts of a lot of those interviews, was show that the, the, the human cost of the lockdowns from people who were actually like on the ground working with people, like the family's first interview, 300% increase in their suicide hotline yep. through that year. The Gleaners interview, f- three to four times the food needs. Like the school-oriented groups, like the <clears throat> like the cycling group, I think it's like three, nine, something. Literally every one of those charities had to, to, to pivot for poor relief. And what I didn't understand was the magnitude of welfare distribution points that our, our like schools contain. Sure, like, yeah. Like it was very evident <clears throat> early in uh, 2020 how dangerous it was to keep schools closed because of the the impact on poor families. Like it was it was pronounced and significant uh, in the words of the people that were dealing with folks on a daily basis. Like, uh, I, so so I I think our schools opened in the first semester, generally around the first semester of 2021. By fall of 2020, there still was kind of that hesitancy. And it was because, okay, you're, you know, in my mind, I'm sitting here listening in my psyoped brain, um, having fallen victim to all the propaganda <laughs> of you talking about the disease vectors of school and how that's good and how that's great. I'm thinking, well, what about the teachers? What about the kids that mm-hmm. are going home and infecting their parents? And wouldn't we overwhelm the hospitals? Like, wouldn't there have been a risk? to doing, you know, to opening schools sooner and and harming people, Dr. Larson? There's always a risk of that. I think, you know, the, I think the problem we, we have with this pandemic is the fact that there's an inevitability to it in the sense that you can't prevent what's going to happen. You can only change the timing in which it, and when it happens, right? So would we have, had we not had any restrictions, would it have significantly impacted hospital capacity? Or would it just have changed the timing of it? And probably it just would have changed the timing. I, I, we're not, I don't even know if I agree with you. We're not even Europe, right? <laughs> right. I don't think we're, we're not Europe. We're not, poor, we're not as poor as other parts of the world. We have a lot of hospital capacity. We have a lot of things. There were so many, um, so many other things that we could have done at a hospital, which with hands down got really busy multiple times. We still have people with COVID in our hospitals and ICUs. And so it's still a problem in our hospital system as we're just kind of clearing people out eventually, right? As they, they get over it. Um, and this is not to minimize, of course, the fact there's a lot of disease and a lot of morbidity. There's a lot of, there's a lot of problems that happen. This, but this is also that would have happened anyway. And that's, I think, that's a difficult thing. People who were at highest risk, we knew right away, early on, who they were. They're the elderly. They're people who are in poor physical condition. So, what could you have done differently? I think you would have 
open schools in the fall, you would have said, if you were someone at risk, you know, fix yourself. I mean, the, the number one message, there's no, there's no therapeutics. Well, there were ther- therapeutics that people have talked about. And I think of, with varying success, um, you know, physical, being physically active, losing weight, not smoking. I mean, those sorts of things are obvious and they were the most important things. It's probably why we've had more deaths per capita than most countries in the world, because I think we're just very sick people in general. I right? have no doubt that at 330 pounds, like in 2012, had I gotten COVID, I would have died. Like it was the Delta was a significant test of my heart and my lungs and like it and my brain <laughs> still not totally back. Uh, you know, I have, I have no doubt, but I, you know, there was a number early on in New York city that was locked down and 50% of the patients were people who hadn't left their house. I'm just sort of sure. like vaguely remember that fact. Uh, I, I don't know that restrictions were ever necessary because I don't know that anybody followed them. Like here in Indiana, there, nobody followed the rules. Like, I, I mean, I was inconvenienced one time. I couldn't go in BW3s because it was at 30% capacity. Mm-hmm. That was the one single singular time in Indiana that I ever faced like issues. And were the numbers that much better in Michigan than they were here? I, well, and the, and if you look at the numbers, the numbers, cases per 100,000 or what, or deaths per 100,000, they're pretty much, it moves regionally, right? And you don't see much, as far as restrictions, they made very little difference from one state to the next, right? Indiana, if anything, we had more restrictions and we had less, we had more problems in Indiana. And I don't know, exactly understand why that is, if it's Detroit or um, because maybe some more international travel. I don't know. But we seem to have a couple extra outbreaks that other states in the Midwest didn't have. Yeah. There's definitely randomness to this sort of thing. But I guess the point is, is there's an inevitability to the being infected and to have it break out. And we cannot like it. We can um, want it to go away. We can feel like there's something we should be doing. But ultimately, there's some oftentimes nothing you can do, right? Yeah. Like you can't stop it from snowing. Right? <laughs> right. I mean, there are some things that you just can't do. And it's hard for us as politicians, as voters, you know, as citizens, Empath- physicians, empathetic people. Right. Because yeah. we, we don't want people, we don't want to be suffering. And people will be listening, say, my aunt died or whatever. And this is a terrible thing. How can you so callously say we should just let it, let it rip? Right. That's always the, the term. But ultimately, that's what happened anyway. There's, yeah. and because as much as we th- say we lock down, your point is, is it, very valid in that sense. You don't really lock things down. You can't. If you lock things down 100%, everybody would die, right? I'm not, I don't have a garden in my backyard. At some point, I got to get seeds. Someone's got to get the seeds to me. How are they going to get the seeds to me? Well, they have to get meet some person to get a seed to get to a truck to get to me. There's still going to be transmission for something as, as infectious as this. There's no way you can have a society that's totally locked down. It's easy for people who can work at home and can be pretty much isolated from everybody for them to say, yeah, lock everything down. It doesn't bother me because they are going to have all these services delivered to them and provided for them with little risk to them, little contact to the outside world. And yes, they can get by, but most people can't. Yeah. I mean, I, and they may be, they may suffer in other ways by the fact they have limited interactions with other people. I'm consider myself quite an introvert and I was staying like late at work, just talking to people (laughs) because I wasn't seeing people. I wasn't talking to them. And so I am lucky in that sense that I had to go in and see people all the time. I can't do anesthesia from my home. I have to go in and actually take care of patients. Um, and I don't, I think the hardest thing about this is of course, there's no easy answer. There's no way you can't prove a counterfactual. You can't say it would have been better or worse. Had we done things differently? I think though, once we had the vaccine by, June of last year, I put out a thing about is COVID Independence Day, and it absolutely should have been. They were, at that point, anyone who wanted protection was going to have maximum protection. 
there would have been no reason to have any further restrictions because it would have, now you're only delaying what is going to happen anyway. Kids are all going to get it. Whether kids are vaccinated or not, it doesn't matter. They're going to be okay. I mean, I think right. that's fundamentally the I think, I the think case. Of, the, of the 900 to million people in, in America that have died, uh, 900 children have died. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you investigate that more, there are kids who are special needs kids. They're, they're oftentimes kids who have other, I mean, it's very, very unusual for a kid who's like totally healthy. Um, like no, no obesity, no underlying diabetes. It's tragic. I've lost a child myself, so I know what it's like going through losing a kid. So I understand, I understand that. But I also recognize losing my son, I have a greater appreciation for life. Yeah. And, um, I do things now differently than I did before. I, I, I value experiences more than I did before. And so like I pull my kid out of school and we're at the big 10 tournament, not because, I don't think algebra is important, but it's because I think us having a family time bonding together over, you know, it's basketball, but whatever. I think it's important. I have a foster son who had a kidney transplant. And so he is immunocompromised. He's at risk. And someone early on said to us, you know, what are you going to do with him? Because, you know, he's working, he's working at Culver's at the time and he's got another job. And kid works like crazy. Um, and I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, are you worried about him? It's like, yeah, of course. But he got a kidney transplant, not so he could live in the basement. It's so he could live life. And, yeah. and, um, and to your point earlier, we all make calculations of risk, what we think risks are. And I think people very wisely recognize early on, like, hmm, I'm 35. Everybody who's dying is like 75 or 80. For the most part, they're unhealthy. There are the un, you know, unfortunate people who, for whatever reason, they may be more susceptible to this who, who pass away. But it's a very low percentage. I can not live for a couple of years because I think it was evident early on that this is going to last a while. I mean, if you looked at it. So just, you have to just make the decision just to live. And, and it's, I wish I could say you could live a risk-free life. I mean, that's what I'd love to say, but hell, nothing's risk-free. It, I mean, it's we, been a my son died in a car accident. I mean, yeah. the, and you have to get in cars. I, it's just, it's unreasonable. I recognize people who are, want, who are I don't want to say safety freaks, but people who are concerned about safety issues. But I tell you what, you're not here very long. And you want, to, you want to spend time with people is important and make those relationships because that's really what life's about, you know, relationships with each other and, and doing things and accomplishing things that make you happy to leave the world hopefully a little better than it was when you came in. Yeah, you have the ability to exercise, eat better, prepare yourself, get the vaccine. Um, and it's been a hallmark of this show forever. You are not guaranteed to walk back in the front door when you exit it. Like there, there is no guarantee that the government can keep you safe. The best the government could do is twelve hundred dollars and lock down seed seed aisles, right? Like they, you are living in risk all the time. And you know, for people, I'll be candid. I'm not. You know, my dad didn't come to my wedding in December. Everybody who attended the wedding, vaccinated or unvaccinated, had had Delta within the month and a half before. And he had the booster. He still didn't want to make the trip to Florida and back, mm-hmm. right? Now, maybe there were other reasons. I don't know. But COVID was the excuse. Uh, he's still wearing masks when he comes to events. And it doesn't... Like, my brother works for a major pharmaceutical company, right? Like, my sister was very um, progressive, I guess, on COVID <laughs> stuff until she got it. And and I early on, I was like, yeah, I get it. I get it. But... Like two years in when you've got a booster and everybody has natural immunity and literally nobody's in danger, why are you acting this way? Why are you more afraid now than you were when you didn't have the vaccine? That's the part that I've not 
come to grips with because you should be going the other way. You should be like, like 2020, I got it. The second or third week it hit Indiana. Okay, well, I have a layer of protection because natural immunity exists. Mm-hmm. And it kind of summer, oh, people are getting it a second time, which made sense. So when the vaccine comes out and they're telling me my natural immunity doesn't hold up, well, then why will your vaccine natural immunity hold up, right? Like, <laughs> But there is some level of T-cell response. Uh, how, how do you look at people like, you know, my dad who kind of are are not comfortable yet. Yeah. I I don't I don't have the I don't have a good answer for that. I mean, I think uh it, it has it is uh fed into my frustration I think this year that that people especially people policymakers and people who are thought leaders and that would be, you know, Fauci and and public health officials, they're the they're the whole thought leaders when it comes to this to this infectious disease in order to call the dogs, right? And I think they're the ones who can say, they can just say rationally, like, you know, there's going to be risk, you're going to get this, and, but that message has not been delivered. And so, right. and so for people like your dad, I, I think, you know, whenever you, you encounter these people, I think you have to meet them with empathy because they have legitimate fears. I mean, it did kill a lot of people. There's no yeah. question about it. I mean, it's not like, it's not like we're, we're arguing about whether something really happened or not. I, I mean, I, I, mean right? I remember when Donald Trump, said, well, 100,000, 200,000 people are going to die. Eh. And I was like, how are we going to let 200,000 people die in sugar? Like, that was an unconscionable number. Like, Ulsterholm went on Rogan in March and said 800,000 people globally will die of this. And, like, that was just crazy pants in terms of a number. And 6 million are dead now. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, I get your point. I mean, it's, it's certainly... Uh, you know, especially if you're like my dad, who's in his 60s, he's he's healthy. Like he's, you know, he if he gets it, he, it's going to be like my Omicron experience, yeah. which by the way, I have no idea how I got Omicron. I yeah. mean, we didn't leave the house. We hadn't gone anywhere. We think maybe her from daycare, like... Well, that's but, but see, this is this is exactly you know what I mean? to like, why lockdowns would work, right? Because you still weren't you weren't like totally in your house, right? You still have human contact, right? And if you happen, you could have a hundred human con- contacts with someone, and if one time that person is very infectious, you're going to get it. You could have a thousand if no one's infectious, well, then you don't get it, right? I mean, it's just like total. It's a total crapshoot whether you get it or not. I mean, to your dad, I mean, right now, if you are really worried about it, you can wear an N95 if you have it properly fitted, which means you can never wear it because you've got a beard. You can never have a properly fitted right. mask. Um, so you have to make your properly fitted N95. You can pretty much walk around with impunity as long as you're changing that N95 frequently, which probably most people aren't. Um, and, and so you can mask just yourself and it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. You can still do whatever you want. And yeah, you might, you'll have to experience the derision or the sideline side long looks of people right. who are like, what's this guy wearing a mask at? He's outside like at a 4th of July festival. <laughs> but you can still do that if you really are concerned. And I don't think people at this point are going to, I think people will cut you some slack. Yeah. It's as long as you're not restricting them from what they're doing. I mean, this is like libertarianism, man, right? Right. Like as long as you're not restricting me and making me do things that are pointless or silly, right? Then I'm okay. If you want to wear a mask all the time, all right, fine. I mean, make sure you're not robbing my bank or something. But for the most part, I don't care. Your central planning will fail. This won't work. Like that, 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 that was the message from the beginning. Like, yeah, okay, you, you guys can try this if you want, but it's not going to work because we can't control nature. Right. right? <laughs> and I guarantee your dad will get, um, will get SARS-CoV-2. Right. No matter what he does, no matter how much he wears his mask, because he's not going to wear his mask 100% of the time everywhere. He's not going to wear it properly. 
I can't tell you how many people I walk around, see walking around with their N95s on, and they're not properly fitted. Like I can see, if I can see your skin beyond that mask, mm. behind it, it's not sealed, mm. right? I mean, like it needs to be like hurting your face type. It just needs to be. It. I mean, if you think about, it, let's say you had, um, well, you, everyone puts leftover food in a box, right, in, mm. in a container in the fridge. Well, if the lid's not snapped shut, it's going to spoil, right? See, yeah. So if it's not airtight. It's not airtight. You I mean, I know, it's pe- not that you, complicated. You got to put the pizza into the Ziploc bag because if you put the box into the refrigerator, the pizza gets dried out. If those blue and yellow don't turn green, that Ziploc's not sealed, okay. right? I mean, and so the N95 is the same way. It's not, the, it's not super complicated. And even then with an N95, you're still at risk for getting things. I mean, it's not like you'd have to have a full-blown, those hazmat suits to really be 100% sure. Like if you were, knew you were working on sarin gas, you're not wearing an N95, right? You're wearing a hazmat suit. So I don't know. I mean, I... I, I think the way you treat it is you say if you need if you insist on protection you can protect yourself if you insist your kids being protected but you cannot expect at this point for the rest of the world to adapt and to change their behavior in order to make you feel comfortable and I think that's what we're doing and what we're doing to our kids in many places not now in Michigan as much but in places I see these I, it's almost like a different universe you see the people in New York being kids to eat out eat lunch outside or yeah. well now you don't have to wear masks outside well that never made sense. For how I mean, no one thought that made any sense for a year and a half. I don't. Or why? Why at my hospital, you don't have drinking fountains that are operational? Right. What, I I don't understand what the point is. Are there lines? Are there be like crowds of people under drinking fountains before? I don't. Do you remember that ever happening? Like, yeah. well, no wonder there's lots of transmission of COVID. We have drinking fountains open. People are lined up for a mile, but we have people drinking all the time. And would, I, I, there's so many things that we have policies, and this is the problem, right? When you have a central a top-down policy, it takes a long time to remove these policies. Yeah. And you don't want to be the guy to remove it because, well, let's say you say, oh, we're going to, now you don't like have to, you no longer have to uh, wear masks. Well, now there's an outbreak because just, it happens by chance anyway. Well, is it due because the mask, got, the mask mandate got repealed? Well, if so, then we're going to blame the guy who just got rid of it. So you're, that there's the, the impetus is to keep things as they are because people have kind of gotten used to them, right? And so it's very long to get rid of these dumb policy. Like Biden's administration, the TSA, they're going to keep the mask mandate for public transportation. Uh, both trains and buses when and planes. The for, military and every airline says it's safe in their filtration systems in the plane. And, and even if it weren't, again, everyone who has wanted to get vaccinated and to have protection has had the opportunity to do so. Yeah. So what are you doing at this point? Preventing infections makes no sense. This is, we would never spend all this effort to prevent people from getting, I don't know, like, a regular cold, like an adenovirus. It, that's what we're doing right now. It, does, it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. If you are someone who, again, who is really concerned, you can isolate yourself. You can wear the mask if you're really worried. I, I don't know. I just, at this point, I think we're just spinning wheels and people are just unwilling to let go. And I, yeah. it, because I think if you let go completely, you're admitting the fact that, well, the last nine months is kind of silly. A right? lot of people have business models based on sharing Robert Malone information or sharing <laughs> yes. Dr. Fauci's information. A lot of people have a lot invested and they're very upset about this war because it's taken their bread and butter off the front pages. It's taken the views are going to go down as people move on. Like, you know, there there's a reason there are no significant pieces of culture out of the Spanish flu. Because right. it, and if you read that influenza book that I recommended early in the pandemic John by John Barry, Philadelphia was like the hot zone for uh, all the leaders lied about the the pandemic, and so they like turned on them. Anti mask league stuff, like the 
we're all doing the same things over and over. So if history is your guide, then you have to look back and go, okay, if there's no culture out of one of the worst events in American history, and we didn't realize it till we had our own pandemic, and the answer is that nobody wanted to relive the worst years of their lives, we're going to do the same thing. So there's a lot of people like desperately trying to drag us, like yeah, like or they're going to just transfer the psyop stuff to you know Putin and and you know and and that like the I don't know you're a consumer of information like and and have followed a lot of this stuff closely like when you look at the Ukraine situation and kind of the the flow of information I mean it's been a couple weeks and now positions are already hardened. I see a lot of the same information flow mechanisms just kind of carrying over into that stuff. Like you are you are now two weeks into it, you have to choose a side. You are either pro Zelensky and pro Ukraine, no matter what, can't question it, or America this is all America's fault and Putin is just a victim. Right? Like they're like they're those same kind of sides and groups of people like are just carrying that like when we when we talk about how information kind of has flowed around this stuff, like how do you sort what's been true? How do you know what, what is true? I mean, obviously your medical training probably has something to do with it. But sure. Well, how do you, how, how the, the question I get most often, I guess this is what I'll ask you is how do I know if this is true or not? Yeah. How, how have you managed that? How have you kind of sorted through that? I mean, I think it is, it's like any sort of medical, truisms right i think you have you have experimental data you have observational data and and i think you can use that to reach reach conclusions that are reasonable right i think observationally we know we definitely most people know someone who has been very sick from covid but we don't know like thousands of people sick from covid right i mean like unless you live in a nursing home <laughs> right so i think i think those are important i think um i think when you look at the data as far as where cases move and how they flow, I think you can see that there's very little difference from one region to the next. In fact, it's more related to the region. Like whether, no matter what the policies are in California, Nevada, and Arizona, they pretty much have the same case uh, case counts. Same thing in the South, right? I mean, so I think you, I think you look at those sorts of things and then I just, you know, I think it's, it's really challenging because there are so many people who are grifters on both sides who, and, and there are people, there are industries, large industries that make a lot of money in this process, this uh, process. Like why do you think universities had such huge testing policy? I think in, in part it's because they are, they were sold from testing companies. You need to you need to do all these, um, uh, you need to do all this, uh, what's that? I can't think of the, the term, uh, contact tracing mm. for, for students. So, you know, it, and, Testing companies love it because they get to sell a lot of tests. I'm not saying that they came up with the pandemic, they invented it or something, but they right. they push they push things to say, well, this is a way to control it. And you're like, well, I guess if you're a university administrator, was it the federal government or the ad? You know, ten million dollars in advertising to these mainstream media outlets to push the vaccine. Yeah, right. I mean, there, there's definitely money being made in the vaccine with no liability. There's no question about that. Do the vaccines work? Yes. <laughs> are they are they as effective as they were sort of initially um, pushed? No. I mean, in the sense that they don't prevent you from getting sick, right? We know that eventually it wanes like your natural immunity would, which is exactly what you'd expect. But there's, there's definitely financial moneyed interest in those sorts of things. Um, and so I think that helps push the narrative as well. And, and, and they have a voice. And because with, when everyone's, anyone's scared, you can kind of push things a lot easier. And I think yeah. with the war, 
the fact that there are nuclear weapons on one side, it makes it much more newsworthy. No one cares about Yemen, right? right. And people die in Yemen for what, 20 years now? I don't even know how long it's been. It's been forever since... Ten, at least 10, yeah. Right. So, it's, it's past Holocaust numbers in terms of the genocide there. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I think uh, the, same, the same instruments of propaganda or information that was used in the pandemic have been used before. It's used now. And then what, and when the Ukraine situation, and I think when it comes to the United States, we always try and we tr- we try. I guess we're narcissists. <laughs> we it's always about us. And I think what's going on in Ukraine and Russia has almost about nothing. Gas prices. Okay? It has almost nothing to do with the United States, right? Like I, have, my barber asked me, "What do you think about Ukraine and Russia?" He's like, well, "You know," and I said, "I don't, I don't know." And I'll be honest because I live twenty seven hours from walking from Indiana, two hours from the border. Right. I don't know the name of your governor, and I think <laughs> I'm, I think I'm a fairly like. I don't know. I'm up in politics and stuff. I don't know what people in Indiana care about. I don't. Even, I mean, I don't even know what Hoosier is. So for me to to suddenly expect that I'm understand the history, the culture, and the politics of Ukraine and Russia, I don't even. I, I don't know how any American can expect to know that. And and to, so I don't even try and pretend that I know. All I know is I don't want people to be dying for something. Yeah. And and I don't know why it's happening. Um, you know, I've have vague ideas why it happened. I've listened to people who've had gone through histories of U.S. involvement and what's gone in Russia and Ukraine. So I feel like I'm semi-informed, enough to know that like everything in life, it's nuanced, right? It's yeah. not just one side or the other. I don't have a Ukrainian flag and I don't have a Russian flag in my Twitter Twitter handle, yeah. right? Well, profile. if you did, it'd really help. <laughs> it'd really help if you lit your house up with the, the blue and gold. Yeah, I got this message from my... The, the I've talked a little bit about the Russian couple that I met on my honeymoon. Uh, and they weren't really politically... They didn't want to talk about Putin. They didn't. They didn't really know... The one thing that they were interested in is why America, what's with the cancel culture? That was the thing that they knew about America's government is the cancel culture. And I was, I was talking to my Russian friends because they're about to lose Instagram. And, you know, she wrote, we are civilians and we are not interested in politics. We are very surprised by what is happening. We do not want Russia and Ukraine to fight. It is also obvious that no one will compromise. We are afraid for the future. We haven't watched the news in 10 years. We don't understand anything. We don't understand why this is happening. Uh, Dee's father says everything was planned long ago by the USA. His father said in 95, the Ukrainian military asked him if he would fight with Russia. We're just watching. We don't know what to do. So yeah, that Russian friend sounds exactly like you. It's like, well, my country probably isn't really at fault, but I don't really like... So I I don't know. I guess... um, you know, it, it's 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 just. I think the vaccine. Let's kind of uh, talk about the vaccine because I don't think you and I have had a chance to really discuss it. I mean, uh, I know more people that have had adverse reactions to the vaccine than I do COVID, and I know that's a controversial thing to say. It's totally anecdotal. Who knows? They may be going well. You know, I had this tumor on my foot for four years, and then I got the vaccine, and now it's. <laughs> A super tumor, right? Like, I don't, you know, you don't know what if people are telling you the truth, but there are legitimate, like, one friend got Bell's palsy Mm -hmm. after their second shot. The second shot and the booster seem to have have caused issues. I mean, when you, how have you approached talking about the vaccine based on just like the, like, I I don't want to talk about it, right? Because I feel like you with Ukraine, like, I'm completely unqualified to talk about it, but I do have questions. Like, 
I, I know people have had adverse reactions. I don't like that I'm not allowed to say that out loud without being shouted down. Anti vaxxer. Right. That seems weird to me. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, people, I was listening to this game theory podcast about Ukraine that was really interesting. And she was talking about like people make decisions based on changing states. So, you know, and she listed this. She's like, your average person in the United States that's kind of like 35 doesn't want to change states because the information has made this like this big moral choice. Mm-hmm. And so I'm currently fine or I've had COVID and I'm okay and I'm in a good state and I'd probably be fine if I catch COVID. Like, But if I get the vaccine, then that's a changing of the state, right? I could have this happen. I could. So it's almost like um, playing poker with yourself getting the vaccine, something could happen, something, right? Like, and in a lot of ways, that question, I think, for a lot of our listeners has become bigger than what happens if I get COVID, especially right. with Omicron. Like, Delta, for me, that scared me because, like, you saw how I saw people having bad reactions. I had a terrible reaction that took me months to recover from. Um, so, in your experience watching people get the vaccine, watching people get COVID from um, kind of an overarching view plus being in the trenches at a hospital. How did you approach that choice and what information that did you have that maybe I don't have just kind of as a dude sitting around reading Twitter? So I'll begin just by, this is more a general medicine sort of discussion here. So uh, ultimately, statistically, something happening to you is zero or a hundred. The chance something happened to you is not 43%. That's a population chance of something happening, right? And that's always a tricky thing in medicine. So when I'm trying to talk to someone, a patient before anesthesia, and I'm trying to go through the risks of things, I can give them percentages of what, the, but ultimately they, it doesn't mean it's meaningless. If right. I tell you there's a 1% chance something happened, you're like, I don't know, does that mean it's going to happen? Or the magnitude of it happening, is that something I need to worry about? So I will tell them things like, you know, you're young, healthy, the chance you, the things that are likely are, you know, maybe a sore, scratchy throat from a endotracheal tube. You're going to probably have some decent chance of nausea. We'll give you some medicine to treat those things. The sore throat resolves on its own. Everything that you worry about, awareness during anesthesia, strokes, heart attacks, those sorts of things, they're not zero, but your chance of probably not making it here or making it back home is probably greater. So if you think twice getting in the car, you should think twice getting anesthesia, you know, from the, the serious right. significant side effects. And that people are like, oh, okay. And that, so that tends to put people at ease. Um, but of course, your chance of getting a car accident is really zero hundred, right? You you either will de- you will or you won't. And so I can't. So I can't ever say something's not going to happen. So then, when it comes to vaccines, I think this is the the important thing is you have to look at population to get an idea for in general what is your risk, what is your chance of something bad happening, because that's what you really want to know. Yes, it's zero hundred, but ultimately you want to know: is it likely or not likely? Is, is it happening to lots of people, or is it not happening to lots of people? Right? That's kind of what you sort of try and figure out. And and I think it's it's disingenuous for us to say there's no risk to a vaccine. There's always a risk. There are unknown risks. There are things that could happen that we don't understand. Uh, you also have to put that up against the risks of not having a vaccine, right? So there's a risk to that too. So there's a risk for hospitalization, morbidity from maybe you have permanent heart disease or lung disease from not from getting COVID without having prior in, uh, protection with a vaccine. I don't know. I can't know those things. It's also possible those things won't manifest for many years, maybe 10, 20 years. Maybe you get a heart attack at 60 when you would have had a 70. We could never know that. Right. There are all kinds of infectious diseases that we get all the time that maybe they cause these problems. 
years and years and years down the road, all the time, patients are trying to attribute things that happened to them to something that happened to them recently. That's a natural thing by any human being, right? My, my hamstring hurts a ton. What did I do yesterday that made my hamstring hurt, right. right? It wasn't that I just did something a while ago and now I did some little thing and that was the last straw that broke the camel's back, right? So to speak, we see that all the time with back injuries. Someone goes down to lift, picks a piece of paper off the floor and they throw out their back. Right. Well, it wasn't that piece of paper that obviously did it. It's like the 150 injuries before that got you to the point where just one little thing got you. I pee a lot every day, and you said, well, you're too young to have a prostate issue. I said, no, I drink a gallon of water a day, right? So, like, it's, but, you know, in my mind, when I, every time I go pee, I'm like, well, this is it. It's prostate cancer. (laughs) But the real reality at 38, it's not. It's just that I drink a gallon of water a day. I'd be more concerned if you weren't peeing a gallon. (laughs) If you consume a gallon, you should pretty much pee out a gallon. Right. That means your kidney's working. Great. Um. So when it comes to other risks, like uh, there, most risks that you have to worry about adverse events with vaccines are going to occur very quick, very soon within the, the time period of that. Now, that also goes, that is a, you have to take into account that fact that things happen to people all the time. That person who's going to have a heart attack, they're going to have a heart attack whether they have the vaccine the day before or the day after, right? And so um, people talk about this all the time. They th- these events are happening and it's because of the vaccine. You know, I'm in the ER, I'm a nurse, and I see all these people with a... Maybe that's true. Maybe they're really a nurse, right? The things you see on Twitter all the time, it's hard to know what's true. People um, disparage the, the uh, VARES system in that, that for vaccine ad- adverse events um, yeah, system. Yeah, system. And it, it, has, it is not perfect by any means. However, a lot of things have been found. But I mean, I think the, the clot formation after the Johnson Johnson vaccine, that was, that was a very rare event, but they found that. Um, I think with the myocarditis with, with boys, that has been detected and picked up by VAERS, and it's also been seen elsewhere in the world. So there are definitely risks to getting the vaccine. I think they're very, very small. And I would say, in general, the risk is incredibly small. And then I think you just have to see, what's your risk to getting a bad reaction to COVID? Well, it probably depends who you are, yeah. what your p- physical shape is how long how many times you've had covid these are the discussions that i think we're not having and i think this is a problem with i don't know what you call centrally planned you know public health that there's not any nuance allowed within the the scope of it right like everybody has to wear a mask or no one has to wear a mask or you know everybody has to get vaccinated vaccinated or no one has to get vaccinated initially with the vaccine rollout it would make much more sense saying hey have you had covid why don't you wait for someone who hasn't covid to get vaccinated first yeah that would have made more, more sense. If people said, well, I don't know. Did I have COVID? Well, we'll test you, right? We'll see if you have antibodies. We could have had a nuanced approach to that at that point. We could have spread out the doses. There are all kinds of different things we could have done had we been willing to have an honest conversation about the disease. And I think not having that, those discussions hurt p- credibility later on because it became very evident later on that some things were true. You do have immunity from having and being infected with COVID. Well, that was kind of like to be denying that that possibility was seems crazy. He hadn't like Fauci said recently they hadn't even researched it. So you you're doing all this research in the greatest global pandemic and you haven't done any research on natural immunity effect on the disease. Like that didn't make any sense to people. Like why wouldn't you research natural immunity and 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 that's I think why a lot of people look at it and and it's reasonable to go. Well, it's a cash grab. Like, yeah, it's not, it's not a reason. <laughs> and on, on some level, maybe a little bit of it is. Yeah. But yes, I mean, the fact that there's so much basic science that was ignored, like, you know, immunity from viruses, that is a known thing. How long it lasts? Well, we don't know. <laughs> but we can say, well, let's see, there are four other common end- endemic coronaviruses. 
And this is a discussion I had with David Graham back in April of 2020. We know you get, you get immunity from that, and then at some point it wanes over time. And you can't have antibodies that last forever. The fact that we have people who are prominent immunologists talking about how we have to monitor antibody levels forever was totally insane because you can't have antibodies to every single thing you've been infected with because I think I talked to you before. You're, if you had that much protein in your blood, it'd be like molasses. Yeah. You would die. So your body naturally gets rid of that, keeps a bank of what you've had infected so it can ramp up antibody production quickly later. That's how we're designed. So it's, I mean, it's possible that we, didn't, we wouldn't form antibodies. It's possible that none of that stuff would happen with this new... But the, the default, the, what you expect is that you would. And that's what Sweden's approach was. They said, we expect that people will get this They'll get over it. And, you know, that's, I think, how it's played out. I think they look smarter than we did in the fact that we're denying things that were basic fundamentals, knowledge that we had in medicine that we just, for some reason, said, ah, forget it. We didn't, so I've not looked up, but was Sweden's numbers that much different than other places? I know they were touted early on as, like, the geniuses. Uh, I think Sweden is, uh, so... It's from a health standpoint, they're really no different than Europe. I think they're middle of the pack, maybe even a little bit better. Um, when you look at Nordic countries, they're pretty much the same as everybody else. I think except Norway. For what, whatever reason, Norway has... When you look at excess deaths, Norway is very different. I think this is one of the tricky things, too, with COVID, and that it's going to take a long time to really ferret out. And I think you have a lot of people who disingenuously, or at least look for the findings that they want. And yeah, I think, right. And I, you're going to have that uh, with for a Sweden, long time. For instance, it was, you know, the people who would naturally have been against Sweden early on were like, look, their death numbers are way higher or their case numbers are way higher. And then the people who were like, Sweden is genius, then they're no different than other people. You know, it's like, yes. So I just never looked like at a certain point, you're just like, I, I don't have time for this. Well, I'm look trying at, to get married. Right. And look at, and look at, uh, you can look at like Belgium had the worst death rates of COVID in anywhere in, anywhere in Europe. Hmm. But they had probably the most robust reporting and testing um, system in the in Europe, so you're going to pick every you're going to pick up every single case, right? And so other countries may not be as good at at testing or not test as many people. And so I don't know. I mean, Russia Russia said they did better than us, and they had four times the amount of people die, and that was one thing that Trump got right. He always got some things right, but said it inarticulately. Well, when you test too much and you track all the cases, then you have more case. Like it's worse. It looks worse on paper because you're more informed, right? Like, but that's a good thing because then we have better information to make you know, risk calculations. Um, yeah, I, I guess with the vaccine. So it sounds like your risk isn't zero, but just because there is risk and because there is a cash grab element, and because like it does work, it's it's. I think that's where people get stuck. It's because they like they look at these things that are kind of true, like the hallmark of Russian propaganda. Keep this in mind with Ukraine is very Goebbels like. It's to take the they say the opposite of what their opponents say. Repeat it loudly to sow doubt, so you don't know what's true or not. And then they'll take something like the bombing of a hospital. And America has bombed hospitals in the past. There's there's a famous one, Kirkuk, I think, in Iraq, that was an accidental bombing. But that doesn't compare to the hundreds of hospitals bombed in Ukraine over the last two weeks, right? Like, so they'll take the one and go, what about, what about, what about, right? Like, so it's, 
And so just the information with the vaccine, for instance, becomes, well, I know these people who had this, and I know that this doesn't make sense from a cash grab perspective. And they're, it almost becomes like a choice, a, a, a control issue. You're trying to control me by making me get a vaccine so I can go see the documents of freedom in Washington, D.C. So my choice for control is to say no as a protest. You know, so there's all these things that kind of like make sense to me in, in why people wouldn't want to get it. But you're saying like, don't let those pieces of information discount the fact that it does help. It did help. It did work. Yes. And I would say that physicians, public health officials, government officials are very human. We are all, we all have our uh, inherent biases, what, we ex- what our expectations are, uh, how we think the world works. We have a framework for how decisions are made, how things happen. And that, that clouds everything that we see as far as information, how we process it, right? People who are, just, there's, a, you know, there's a smoky room with a bunch of people rubbing their hands together, think this is a new world order, are going to immediately think that, oh, this is all part of a giant conspiracy. Likewise, people think everyone in the government's got white hats on, assumes everything the government says and does is the right thing and just, right? And so I think, I was very skeptical a lot of, of, for a lot of this process, and I think I have reason to be considered correct, Likewise, people who think the other also were correct in many ways too, right? And so the, the world's very nuanced, but we are all susceptible to it. So just because someone has 10 initials after their name doesn't mean that they have the right answers. There probably is no right answer anyway, oftentimes. I mean, maybe it's a little too postmodern, but I think, I think it's very, I, I think it's, it's important to recognize that the world's nuanced. It's gray. It's gray. And, you know, there, there's not a right or wrong. There's not a, one decision you make may be the wrong one. And it's, and there's nothing you do about it. It's just you do the best you can with the information you have. You try not to punish other people. I mean, I, I'd like to think we'd all just treat each other with empathy. And, um, you know, when it comes to Ukraine and Russia, I'm pro-peace. I don't, I'm pro-people. I don't right. want people dying. I don't care what the reason is. I just want it to end. And it was kind of like, I'll wear a mask in your restaurant if you want me to wear a mask. Yeah. It doesn't really, you know, I'm not going to wear it. Like, but that, that's sort of where I came down. It's like, like what now if you want me to be vaccinated to come into your place like you shouldn't invade my bodily autonomy to that level but a mask okay right like there's certain levels to it that you know that nuance that you sort of have to go all right i i get it it's a personal right. choice i mean at this point i avoid any business that makes me wear a mask i'm like i'm just i'm done with i'm done wearing the talisman right right i mean i know it doesn't do anything uh so to to explain that, and Commentary has a really good podcast that I listen to, and, and they're all uh, Jewish. And so John Potters was saying, like, Omicron is like, we have sinned. You have to put the talisman back on, because go back to your talisman to wash away your sin, like, because you've been infected, you're dirty and unclean. Like, so it's a very funny, like, true thing that people have made on almost a religious icon that they think, like, this comfort blanket over my face that's made out of doesn't matter how how long we've known that a cloth mask. I remember like early on, you're like, oh, this is cute. People are making cloth masks, and you'd share the link. Yeah. Hey, if you want to buy one, and then you'd have this doesn't work. And cloth face diapers, chin straps, right? All the, right. The, the and those same yeah. people are like, put on your mask. Uh, all right. So, yeah. do you do you think endemic? What does that mean? What does the future of COVID look like? Do we have bigger spikes? Are we kind of, you know? Not Scott Atlas, uh, for goodness sake. Um, the FDA director... Walensky? 
No, the uh, former FDA director, Pfizer board, he's kind of been right on a lot of this stuff. Who's Gottlieb, what, Scott Gottlieb? Gottlieb, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, said that this was the final big wave. Um, where do you think COVID goes from here? Okay, so endemic means that it's a virus that will be with us within human population for eternity, unless we find some way to remove it entirely, which is unlikely. Because you mean, told me we still have the Spanish flu in, in some ways. Yeah, I mean, uh, all the things... There are only two viruses that have ever been eradicated. Smallpox and, uh, oh, uh, it's a... Uh, is it polio? No, it's not. No, polio is still around. Poli- mm. That's why we still get vaccinated for polio, because it still exists in, like, Afghanistan, ironically. Um, until, and I think now we're almost at the point where we're given... It, anyway, it's a kind of long story. But so uh, we still have polio. It's uh, smallpox, and there's another... I can't think of what it is right now, but it's a virus you never heard of. But... SARS-CoV-2 will join the other four coronaviruses. It already has, really, effectively. And so we'll have five endemic coronaviruses that you'll be infected with from time to time. And so you, you get the other four you don't even know, OC43 and the other three. Um, you get adenoviruses, rhinoviruses, and we will have, we'll continue to have waves of massive infections within communities. That will always happen. That's never going to go away. It doesn't matter how many times you get vaccinated, how many times you get boosted. There's no question about that. But it's not going to matter. It, in the sense that it won't matter unless you actually study, are testing for it and, and altering your policy based on it. There are still people who will be susceptible to it, probably for the rest of their lives or um, at least for the next couple of infections. It'll, as you develop a more robust immunity, it'll become less of a problem to you unless you get, become frail. And so when you, you know, you're sick, I mean, when you're sick, when you're 95 years old and you get a cold, you can die from it. Yeah. I mean, you're going to die from something. And so... That will always be part of us, part of the human condition is having these viruses. So SARS-CoV-2 will always be around. At some point, we're going to stop testing for it. And at some point, we're just going to stop paying attention to it. That's a public health re, uh, or political decision that's got to be made at some point, that we're just going to stop caring that people have it. We're almost to that point now. I mean, we're to the point now where the hospitals are no longer giving you extra sick pay for having COVID and staying home. Um, we're still testing for it, in, at least in my institution, most of the ones I know in Michigan for uh, preoperatively for surgery. But we're getting to the point now where just about everyone's had it or has baseline immunity. So you're kind of like, oh, it's sort of like a regular cold. So if you have a regular cold, you come in for elective surgery, we're going to cancel you. Yeah. But if you haven't had it for a couple of weeks, you haven't gone to the hospital or anything, we probably don't care. A lot of our studies showing that there did make a difference. Well, those are kind of with a, um, an immune, a, na- a naive immune system study so like people who never had it before so they definitely got more sick but now that everyone's had it especially as kids they're going to get it multiple multiple times in their lifetime and so it's just going to not be a thing and i think back to when you're talking about the cultural references i have yet to see a single movie or tv show or anything that has people wearing masks in it yeah the only popular culture that has masks are commercials yeah it's really interesting it's going to be like this never happened. It's going to be very strange, but it's going to be like it, it we'll remember it, but there'll be like no recorded, maybe so you'll find like printed ads or something, but there's really going to be almost no recollection. Which, of it. which I've seen a lot of people on Twitter really mad about that. They're going to get away with it, which I totally get like, you, you, you killed people with bad policy. Same with 2008. Same with the Iraq war. Nobody's going to jail for anything. Nope. Nobody's going to be held accountable. And now they're just moving on to the war and and the same people who made the same bad decisions will make bad decisions with this and they're never going to get away with it. Like, and so I don't know, I guess it just is what it is. It's just welcome welcome, to life. Welcome to the government. Welcome to the world. I mean, this is the way, (laughs) right? I mean, life's not fair. Life doesn't always work out the way you want it to be. All right. And you know, that's why you, 
lean on your faith or you lean with the, lean on other people and you do your, you do your best. I don't know. I mean, I wish I could say it turns out best. I, I like to think that, uh, just like Lord of the Rings, Mordor is going to go down at the end, but yeah. I, maybe I'm not here when that end happens. So where does paradox go from here now that we're kind of past this emergency? I think we'll talk about COVID occasionally just when it comes to, because it just, some people just won't let it go and talk about the implications, but COVID really has not been the focus of the show. It never was meant to be. Mm. It, it has just because in, well, every third or fourth episode, I was trying to keep it to a minimum. Because at some point, what are you going to talk about? <laughs> this, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the show was launched in order to look at the healthcare system in the United States and, and its dysfunction and people who are finding innovative ways of solving problems. And that's what we do. Um, I've been spending a lot of time talking about the credentialing boards recently, which, again, for people who are in the weeds and who are physicians, find it interesting because they understand what's going wrong and ways that people are finding ways around fixing those problems. And if you're a patient, you're like, why are my doctors, why are they retiring when they're 57 or 58? Well, I kind of talk about why the burnout happens. Um, so that's uh, something we focus on, the third-party payment system, direct contracting. I think ways that are, ways that are really going to transform healthcare in this country, it's not going to be a sweeping legislation. I mean, yeah. unless, unless some sweeping legislation happens soon, the way that's going to change is people are just going to, are just fed up with it. It's so expensive. And so anyway, I think those are the, those are things I focus on. And that's what I, where I find it interesting within the healthcare space. And then other issues like, you know, brain death and organ harvesting and stuff like that. Oh, fun. Like every topics, once in a while, yeah. every once in a while we talk, we delve into the sort of the ethical issues in medicine, which I think are interesting. I think, um, and so I try and find stuff that I find interesting. And I think people find what I find interesting who listen. So they just listen. I don't know. I think, I think it has a little bit something for everybody occasionally. Yeah. Maybe not every issue is going to be something that you're going to be fine. But you may find that stuff that you never thought about before, didn't even know existed, is there. I, I talked to Chris Deacon actually recently, a couple episodes ago. She transformed New Jersey's health and benefits, saved billions of dollars. Hmm. I mean, she actually went and reformed state government. And so it's not like impossible. There, there are things people are doing that actually make problems better. And so, I don't know. I just try and highlight those people and look for those stories and... Things I find interesting until I stop finding things interesting, then I guess I'll just do something else. Shameless self-plug time. You know, where, where can people find you? How can people listen? Well, the fantastic We Are Libertarians Network can go to the feed and you can, I think, just type in We Are Libertarians and, yeah. and it'll just show it's up there. On, it's, it's on there. You click there, on the button on the sidebar. There's all this Chris Spangle show too is down there, I think, too. Um, you can go to the Paradox and it's it's spelled different. So it's it's a plain word. It says P-A-R-A-D-O-C-S because I usually talk to another doctor, but not always, but most of the time. Um, and so the paradox.com is the website. You can go to find it, the paradox show at, on Twitter and on, I think I have an Instagram page, but I'm never on, never do Instagram. <laughs> you can only do so many social media platforms. It's not that I've got a Facebook page as well, but paradox.com and just search for that. Subscribe, hit five stars, leave Please. a written comment. Yeah. Just go to the, your podcast app, search. We are libertarians. You'll see all our different shows. Um, well, it was great having you. Thank you for coming to my house. It was great to, Chit chat and thanks for the information. It was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, absolutely. Go green, go hawks. No, go go big red. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.